Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And today we have a special guest on who's going to talk to us about what it would be like if our child, if our children played and lived in the UK. And he's very knowledgeable on the subject. He has a, a history of uh, academy football. I'm sure he played as well. And I can't wait to introduce you to him. If you're not familiar with Anytime Soccer Training, Anytime Soccer Training is the only training app that has well over 1,000 training videos and 101 fun soccer games. Many people talk about all you got to do is hit play, but trust me, you really only have to hit play with Anytime Soccer Training, ball master, juggling, dribbling, all step-by-step. Step. Go to anytime-soccer.com and join the mailing list, and we'll send you a free seven-day ball mastery challenge totally for free, and you can also join um, the application for free and check it out. Okay, so now let's go on to the show. Duncan, so guys, I have the pleasure of speaking to Duncan Wheeler. Duncan is the founder CEO, I always, I always like saying that, ain't making no money. I'm the founder and CEO of my closet. Duncan is the founder and CEO of Tours For You. And what they do is actually in line with what we're doing here in the Inside Scoop. They, but they're doing it in real life. They are providing soccer opportunities for kids all around the world to play and train in the UK. And, I, and when he reached out to me, I was like, Duncan, I got to do a twofer for you. I will help you out. I want to spread the word to my friends because they always looking for opportunities to go abroad within the UK and continental Europe. They want people to look at their kids just to get, get some feedback. So you, this is perfect. But you got to come on, on and talk to us about what it would be like to play football in the UK. And you know what, Duncan, I was just so happy with your personality, man, because you're like, this is what I live for, trying to explain to people what it's like playing football here. That's what I do, and that's what I'm passionate about. So I appreciate it. Now, guys, I want to say one more thing before we get onto the show and I introduce Duncan. The thing that makes what they do unique, and I'm learning this as I go, is it's not a cookie-cutter program, right? And we all get the emails where, you know, there's this – $10,000 package, all-inclusive trip to, you name the European city. Nothing wrong with that, you know, at all. No hatred. But what they're doing is saying, listen, you have individual needs. You have individual goals for your kids. You have individual needs as a coach because they do coach touring. And you have individual needs as a team. Send us your information. We'll contact you personally. And we'll build something to help your child reach those goals. So I told him, like, my goals was for definitely for my child to play in a competitive environment, but definitely for him to get inspired, for us to tour the city, for us to go to uh, Manchester United, to watch a game, all that stuff. And, oh, by the way, I'm on a budget. <laughs> and he's like, no problem, man. We can do it. So I'm looking forward to that. And I can't wait to, um, I can't wait to use you guys next time we go to the U.K. Um, so that my two sons can get opportunities to play with kids uh, in the UK. So that's enough of that. That's Tour UK. Duncan, introduce yourself and also drop your website because this one is going to be on the um, podcast. So uh, and I'm going to put it in the show notes, but hey, just drop your website as well after you introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Neil. It's great to be on. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, so like you mentioned, I'm, um, I'm the, the, the founder, the co-founder with my mate Steve, um, of tour for you which is uh we're at www.tour for you and the, when i say four it's the number four the, the digit uh co.uk so tour for you.co.uk um and like you say essentially what the company does is it as far as us market is concerned we offer that opportunity for the us client to come over to the uk whether they're a team or an individual and uh experience soccer in the uk so training playing uh, all bespoke to what they want. So the package is totally sort of built with them to, you know, give them what they want. So they, they, you know, it's all agreed, obviously, before you come, this is what you're going to do. It's a two-way process. You tell me what you want or one of my staff 
and we'll provide that for you. Then we'll quote you for it. It's done affordably. Obviously, we don't want to price people out of coming over. I think when I've spoken to you before, you mentioned about, you know, one of your favourite memories as a kid was a trip to a different city or something like that. And it, often it is when you look back in your childhood, those who have been lucky, you know, those of us that have been lucky to travel and, and, and see different places, often they're your highlights. So the holidays or the, you know, vacations, it's the visiting different places. They're often the, the bits you take out of each year when you get to a sort of a national holiday and you reflect and you say, that was, that was the best bit of this year was that trip or, you know, and it's the same for kids. And, and if we can combine that with soccer or football, obviously, as we call it here in the UK, then win-win. And if you can, you know, like same for coaches you can get some take-home messages and, a, and enrich yourself with a great experience, then, then why not? But um, aside from that business, Neil, like you say, I was, I've worked for, for, for a lot of years um, in the pro youth game in, in, in England, particularly other parts of the world doing other bits and pieces as well. But so, uh, you know, in terms of comparison, you know, we've, we've got a really strong, obviously, uh, foundation to be, able to, to be able to talk about that. Okay, so that's good to know. All right, so here we go. And Duncan, I, one of my pet peeves when I listen to podcasts is, and you did good, people talk about themselves too much. I'm like, I put it on three times X to get to the juice and the meat of the potatoes. <laughs> but with that being said, guys, Duncan is in the Facebook group. If you need to talk to him about all things UK or continental Europe, please reach out to him. Okay, now let's get on to the show. Now, Duncan, my listeners have told me I don't want to go too They don't need me to go too far on how U.S. soccer is set up because they, they're familiar with U.S. soccer. I normally do that so that it's easier for you to make a comparison. So I'm going to be very, very brief. Okay, so the biggest difference between U.S. soccer and what I perceive to be in the rest of the world is we have recreational and then we have what we call club soccer, which is the pay to play. And then on top of that, when you get to a certain age, you have what we would call our developmental developmental academies. But in the rest of the world, they typically have and that's where you're going to chime in grassroots and pro academy. So our club academies, our, sorry, our club soccer, where you hear the parents paying two, three thousand dollars, they are effectively paying for an academy experience, even though they are grassroots players. But my hypothesis is, um, so that that gets them a paid coach and all that kind of stuff. But my hypothesis is, and kind of what you said in an earlier interview your top grassroots are going to be the equivalent of our club team. And then there's that 2%, 1%, whatever, of those kids that are in that top academy. So that's a little bit about the pay to play. So if I, if I, my son, who is pretty competitive, if I put him in the equivalent of recreational, it would not be competitive enough for him. But then there is no free academy in my area like there would be in UK and there's not a scouting apparatus. So I'm almost forced to put him in club soccer. So by de facto, by default, there is a de facto pay to play, but I'm really getting into the weeds to say, it's really more, it's not a direct comparison. It's better to say it's not a direct comparison than, cause oftentimes people say, oh, soccer in America is expensive. It's not that soccer in America is expensive, which it is. It's that parents are demanding what I think is different than what they would get in a grassroots environment. And by doing, by demanding something that's different than what they get in a grassroots environment, they pluck a lot of the kids out of our recreational, which would have stayed in recreational and that would have been fine. So I'm going to put this in a bow to say, my son's also playing a, a recreational Hispanic league. The Hispanic kids in these, these leagues, they want to continue to play with their family and friends. So you have the best kids in the city playing in this recreational league. So to them, it's really, really, really competitive. But it's not club soccer. So it doesn't have a $3,000 price tag in the dad or the mom or the volunteer coaches. This is what I perceive grassroots football would be like. Then all the clubs circle those leagues like, uh, like hawks and they pluck the kids out of that, that recreational, which is recreational in name, they pluck them and put them into their academies when they get a little older. Okay, so I, I brought you into a conversation that we've been having throughout the podcast. So I don't know if this made sense to you, and it doesn't really matter as much because the listeners will understand kind of where I'm coming from. But now I'm going to punt it over to you and say, my 10 year old moves to actually, I'm gonna go a little bit younger. My eight-year-old moves to London. 
or Manchester or whatever. And I call you, Duncan, I want him to play soccer. What, what soccer opportunities does he have available? So generally in, in, in this country in there, you've got everybody will play, like you say, we call it grassroots soccer, grassroots football, we obviously be called here in here in England. And that's tiered. So, you know, in each age group in a given area, there might be, for example, five tiers to that, um, from tier one across down to tier five, all based on ability. So you pick a team in or a club within that it might be, for example, in a in a small space, there might be 10 teams in each tier. Um, you'd pick a suitable tier for your child and you jump in generally at that. Now, that is a, as an example as to how that works here in the UK is that team would typically train once a week and play once a week. So train in an evening after they've done their, their school and or the weekend, then they play at the weekend. And sometimes you get children that want to, or, or families that want to supplement that with additional training. And what we've got a lot of, what's become really popular in the UK now is sort of these private academies. So it's, you know, Joe Bloggs has set up a private programme where these grassroots kids would pay to go and do an extra session or multiple sessions with that private academy. They'd call it private academy or private centre um, as often as they want, of course, during the week. Um, and that's kind of the grassroots. And like you said, mentioned about the price, the massive difference in, in terms of the price um, in the UK, you know, the, the equivalent, you know, in the UK for grassroots soccer, where they're training once, playing once a week, you might be paying a couple of hundred dollars, equivalent to a couple of hundred dollars for the year. Um, you know, so you're talking 20, 40, $50 a month maximum generally. And then they might pay $5 to do a session once a week there, $5 to do a session over a week at Joe Bloggs, other academy over there. And then what you've got essentially is the, the pro side of the game. So those EPL clubs, the EFL Okay, clubs. but all right. So Sorry. hold on, let me stop you there. All right. So I come and I say, I want my child to play soccer. And you're going to say, you're probably going to have to start with um, uh, grassroots. You're not going to be able just to call Arsenal and get, get them to look at your eight-year-old. That's a fair statement, right? You, you can do, you can, I mean, it'll depend on, you know, with the level the, the level that the kid's at. If the kid is, is really talented at that age, then Arsenal have a programme and all those clubs have a programme. They call it their pre-academy because the academy starts at under nines. So that'll be turning nine that year. Um, and then they jump into this, this training and games programme for, you know, for example, for Arsenal. But they can't get age. into the pre-academy before they're seen probably through a grassroots playing environment, right? Generally, yeah, but the just the general the general kind of process would be grassroots and into that environment. But there's no rule. It's it's not you know if the kid's that good, then the clubs will make exceptions. This is there's no rule about it. But how would the club even see him? Yeah, so if you were bringing, so for example, if someone was bringing a kid over, no experience whatsoever, then you jump straight in at grassroots. If someone knew someone, like for example, if I knew someone coming over and I knew that my friend's kid was really really talented. Then a conversation that I might have with a with a professional club like an Arsenal, an example, is say, "Hey guys, I think you need to have a look at this kid. The grassroots is not going to challenge this kid. Jump straight into your program, and that's how that would work." And can it work as well? And then we're going to go. I want to go back to the grassroots, like the PE teacher or some teacher sees them. Is that part? Like I'm thinking, I move over there. I don't know anybody. My kid is playing football at the um, school, and a teacher sees them and is like, "Whoa, is that happen? Is that part of it?" Yeah, that does happen sometimes. I mean, that would that would largely depend on the relationship that the club, the local professional club, say the Arsenal, as an example, has with that school, those teachers. Uh, from my experience, the relationship clubs have with schools could be a lot better. So often it's done through word of mouth, through the grassroots environment. So someone will say, even if it's someone says, hey, um, I'm going to school with a kid that's really, really good, and they tell their coach, and it gets, but it generally comes through the footballing route rather than through the the academic route. Okay, so at that younger itty bitty ages, we're talking about that at first. If you're completely lights out, you have the next Messi. It's it's hard to categorize it and say how Arsenal is going to find out, but the world is so the it's the football world is so incestuous that someone's going to see that kid and be like. I need to, I'm going to, I know a lot, I know somebody that's familiar with the club. I'm going to call them and that person calls them and that kid's going to get a look. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, a, a really good friend of mine came over with their, their, their family came over. They got three kids and, and uh, the, the, the youngest young lad 
Um, he's really, really talented. And the people, all the professional clubs locally knew about him from the, almost the day he landed in the UK because football is such a small, or soccer is such a small world in the UK. Everybody knows everybody. All the players are getting seen, you know, non-stop. No one flies under the radar, really, and in, in the grassroots. But without disclosing too much, which country did they come from? Uh, Canada. Okay, so they Canada. came from Canada. All right, so now um, let's go take a step back. I land, I'm going to go to a grassroots club. Is the Do I try out and then the grassroots club places me on the team? Or and, and, yeah. and does a grassroots club house all of these different levels or different grassroots clubs have different levels? A bit of both. Some some of the bigger clubs will have, you know, teams at different tiers. So they might have a team in the top division or top league and the team in the sort of middle bit and then at the other end. And other, you know, largely depend on the sort of the, the pool of kids they've got in that given area. If you've got a really small area club in a small area, that, you know, sometimes it's based obviously on facilities. If they can only, have, you know, only got facilities to have one team per age group, then wherever that team ends up in terms of ability, that's what they have. But yeah, generally, you know, for example, you come over, there's, there are clubs on every sort of corner, you'll come to a different club, a different facility, new club. So getting a grassroots club is, is, is a non-event. So you're straight into a grassroots club. And then, to, you know, generally the, the, the child would really quickly find their level. So, you know, if they jumped in at, you know, division five and they're, you know, straight into training and they're scoring 50 goals a session in training, they'd quickly be moved up to, hey, come on, we, this isn't this isn't right for anybody. You could have a really good challenge if you went and played for certain, and that's how, generally how it works. Okay. Now, if I just did grassroots, no supplemental training, no nothing, just grassroots, how many days out of 365 is my kid going to be playing in organized soccer? You know, you talked about one practice a week and one game. And the reason I'm saying it like that is so that we don't get confused with seasons. 12 months, how long are the seasons for grassroots? So seasons for grassroots would generally run from September through to kind of May, end of April, beginning of May. So similar, you know, with the exception of August, it's similar to professional club season, really, sort of follow the same kind of model. But then what, what I should say is then in the summer, we get inundated with tournaments. And by a tournament, I'm talking about for this this um, relative to this, but like a one-day one day like football festival where loads of teams come together, play a load of games, and then go home for the night again. Um, so, you know, th there is football all year round if you want it, if you're that, if you're that way inclined in this country. Okay. And so even if you play grass, so in the States, one cultural difference is, and this is in general, if you play the equivalent of our recreational, you wouldn't play that long of a season. So what if you're a grassroots person in, in football, you want to play, but you just, you know, you don't want to, we don't want to play that long. Is there equivalent of like eight week seasons? There's, there's, there's smaller stuff. Yeah. There, it's not as common here. So um, what, what would, yeah, I mean, there's smaller, particularly like futsal has become quite popular, you know, a spin-off from sort of baby football in South America, that kind of football, the, the Slough in South America. Um, and typically they'd be quite short seasons. So the smaller sided stuff would be quite short, um, especially often here be done in like when the weather's really poor in the winter and it'd be indoors, an indoor venue or something like that, that kind of stuff. But generally the grassroots seasons are all kind of run the same sort of time. And sometimes you'll get kids, you know, some are more into it than others, some are more available than others and they'll dip in and dip out. That's not uncommon. Um, but the season generally is what it is. And how, um, how are these grassroots clubs funded? So they're, generally speaking, they're all funded through the subs. The most vast majority are not-for-profit organisations. And they're funded through, like I say, those couple hundred dollars that are, are paid in as, as sort of sub fees from the parents for their kid to play. Um, more often than not, the coaches of those grassroots environments are volunteers, often, you know, uh, a parent of the kid or, or something or, or a really keen local person that wants to get into coaching. Um, so, you know, and, and they might own their own facilities or, or get really good rates in their local facilities because the local councils want them to, you know, local sort of governments want them to, you know, want more kids to be active and playing sports. So 
um, there's there's not huge outgoings for those organisations. Um, they've just got to cover the, the you know the, the equipment, etc., and, um, and registration fees. But what about like um, are there situations where there are um, um, paid coaches? I'm at three stipend, so part time, paid or even like a director coaching situation. Is there anything like that in the grassroots level Any that you can remember from anything? Yeah, there is. I mean, just around where I live, there's, there's, there's several clubs that do that, have that model that have, you know, probably for want of a better expression, have probably taken it a bit more seriously, um, have found ways of bringing funding more in. And often the funding at that kind of level then would come from, they've got a senior team, a uh, uh, um, men's and women's team, for example, and they'll pull funding, maybe some some funding down from that, and that enables them to have a couple of paid members of staff, or you know, like you say, a director of soccer, football, whatever the titles are, um, and sometimes even at some levels, you know, paid coaches at at, um, at at each age group. Often, you know, the clubs that have got paid coaches at each age group might some of those might have a, a really close tie in with a local professional club which might supplement the, you know, the funding for that because they're, they're using those as a bit of a feeder system in their own programme. So there are clubs that do that. Yeah, it's, it's becoming more popular, I think. Okay, so um, uh, let's see. So is there expectation for kids who are really competitive to join grassroots clubs as a feeder to get into an academy? And is that something that's a clear objective from your opinion for some grassroots clubs and some coaches, not coaches, sorry, families? Yeah, hundred percent. There's no question about that. I think there's, there's a lot of families that would openly say that, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to try and help my child get into professional club. Um, that that's, you know, soccer is so popular here. It's all over the telly all the time. It's, it's what people, you know, so many people are so passionate about it. We love the game. So, you know, and a lot of, a lot of parents sometimes, um, not, not necessarily in a good way, but almost living their life through their, their kid, you know, that they, they, they wanted to have. So they're encouraging them to, to you know, do everything they can to get these opportunities at the professional club. So, yeah, there's a big drive towards that, yeah. So if that's the case, then, and I join a draft and I and I have that objective. Do I start like looking at certain types of grassroots clubs that can do they and do the grassroots clubs kind of distinguish themselves that way or not? Yeah, sometimes sometimes clubs will make it really clear. They might, for example, turn around and say, you know, listen, we give, you know, every child is going to play exactly the same number of minutes on the pitch or, you know, whatever we, we, this, this is what we kind of believe in. This is our model. We, you know, I know one club really, really um, close geographically to me sort of says, you know, we are solely about kids having fun and enjoying the sport and, you know, all those kind of outcomes. Um, we're not too bothered about, you know, if the kid wants to, wants to do really well and wants to progress into the local professional club, then we could probably point in the direction of several clubs that might be a bit more appropriate and then on the flip side, there's other clubs that say, you know, yeah, we, we want to try and, you know, accumulate those kids, get them playing together. The sort of vision of the, you know, strongest players with ability playing and training together only makes them stronger in theory. So they, they, there's clubs that then do the flip side as well. Yeah. Yeah, because I interviewed Remy Dijon, who actually now uh, is a coach with Manchester United. But, but, but when I interviewed him, let's tell you, tell you how times change. He was a volunteer coach at the Fletcher Moss Academy. And he came in Fletcher Moss Academy came on my radar screen because I am a Manchester United fan. And Remy had posted an article about how seven or eight of their kids had now signed with Manchester United. So that's an example of where I could see someone saying, boy, and Fletcher Moss, you know, Rangers, they're known now. Like I think Lingard went there. What Rashford definitely played there. So they're kind of known now for, um, developing talent or at least recruiting talent if you will that then feeds into uh the the local everton manchester united manchester city clubs in that area so i can see yeah. i can see um i can see the full spectrum happening there okay so so we talked about the competitive levels if for whatever reason i have a 10 year old and i am one of those parents who want to do everything possible to get them into academy football and they are not scouted yet. 
but I want to do everything I can. I want to throw the war chest to get them um, uh, the skills that, that I think they need in order to get signed with Arsenal or whoever. What are the soccer opportunities for me? Now, we talked about grassroots. You also said there are these private training centers. Yeah. And what else can they do, if anything? So, yeah, so a lot of those kids that are in that sort of position uh, and their families, they'll go, they'll jo join in with these private programs. So they'll go and train maybe with, you know, however many, two, three, sometimes these private programs during the rest of the week. Um, and what the professional clubs will typically offer as well, they'll offer a tiering system as well. So they'll have an entry level. They might have a, a level where essentially it's like a community session where anybody can pay to go and do these, you know, one session a week at the you know, run by the professional club, but they're, you know, a local venue. And then you'd step up from there as well at the professional club. So it'd be one, if you did well at that, they'd move you up to the next session. And then, you know, those sort of top few tiers would, instead of being paid to play, they'd be on inv invitation only and you wouldn't pay to do the session. And they're the sort of players, those clubs, you know, the Arsenals or whoever it is are working with because they think, you know, we think you've got something, we think you're really close to the academy level. So we're going to, you know, for example, let you, you know, you come and train with us for free. Don't pay anything to come and train with us, maybe once, twice a week, whatever it is, um, with the view that you'd then be getting feedback from that club directly in relation to what they'd want to see for you to move up to the academy or into the, into the pro youth side of the game. So those, those typically those players would be doing both. They'd be in with the private sessions to get as much all contact time as they could. And they'd be doing the pro club stuff. Maybe if they if they weren't quite at the level for the for the academy, they'd be in the in the next tiers down. But is there um okay? But we, and then we're gonna go there in a second. But what about the private training industry? I'm talking one on one. Yeah, is that popular in the UK? It's it's growing. Yeah, it's growing. I mean, I think people have seen a market for it because um, there's there's a lot of private sort of team training. It's not necessarily a team, but you'd go and, you'd, for example, you pay and you go and join in with a group of players all at the same age with a coach. That coach might be working with 12 players. But what's definitely crept in over the last decade is one-to-one -one training. So some of those coaches then in their spare time will say, hey, listen, I've got this business. We do one-to-one -one training. You book me for an hour, two hours, whatever it is. I'll come to your house or I'll come to a... Uh, a, a you know facility you know facility near you and we'll do one-to-one -one training and, and and you know again you, in this country if you're at that level you're paying for all of that if you're not in a professional club um so typically that'd be you know families that could afford it and want to do it would, would, would be doing everything like that so, as well, yeah so when you were coming up was one-to-one -one training a thing or rare when i was a kid yes yeah, no, it was rare. When I was a kid, it was didn't really exist. You'd get the odd, you know, the professional club doing their little development centre that you could go and join in with, like I say, players your age. But certainly over the last sort of decade, you know, 10 years or so, that that private sector of the game of, of team, you know, private sessions, one-to-one -one and group sessions has just exploded. So. so if I wanted to throw a war chest at my child in order to try to get them into academy, I'm going to sign them up with a with the grassroots club who at least has says which has a history of getting signings in yeah then i'm going to find them one of these private trainers where they can do groups and if i'm of means i can even get one-to-one -one. but can i play on more than one grassroots team so you can play uh so essentially you can play on both days of the weekend so the weekend here be saturday and sunday and you could play for one team that would have a that they'd be in a league on a saturday league and then if you wanted to you could play in another team that their league was on a sunday league so you're kind of playing on both days of the weekend and is that common for kids who really want to be competitive yeah particularly in in, in i would say in certainly the region where i'm living in as an example that's common from when they get to kind of 12 upwards. Well, um, where where really... do you live? Which region? So I'm on the east. So I'm kind of uh, east of London and in, in and around the London area. So. Okay. All yeah. right. So, all right. Now, let me ask you this. So in, in the U.S., it's not uncommon to have a club that takes their football very seriously. Now, for my American listeners, I don't want to get into relative comparison. So in this case, I'm not, I'm going to assume that whatever they say they're doing, they're doing. I don't, you know, because you go down that rabbit hole, it's, yeah, we will be talking forever. So they take their football very seriously. And what that might look like is 
you can't just miss practice. You know, uh, you're not guaranteed to play every single game. You may be in a training pool and you get uh, plucked up to play. You can be put on a lower team. You know, we have a uniform policy. We're not just rolling out there <laughs> in our pajamas. You know what I mean? And it's no, your mom and dad are not coaching. We got licensed coaching. They take themselves very seriously. And it may not even be a uh, ability situation where at the younger ages, you're going to make the team, but it's, you're going to be getting an experience that they perceive to be similar to what you would receive if you were in an academy environment. Now, we talked about that in terms of grassroots, but can you think of a grassroots club that is like that? Like, listen, we got high expectations. We're trying to do this. We're practicing more than one day a week. We're practicing three days a week, game on the weekend and we're trying to give you everything you would get if you were at Manchester City. Yeah, there, there are. There are clubs that, you know, sort of that top end of the grassroots environment that, like you say, are taking it, taking it that next step further where they're doing, you know, like they're, they're, they're big on the uniform, you know, players all wearing the same kit, um, you know, having access to, to more resources um, and would essentially then have higher standards. There's definitely clubs that, that you know, maybe in each in each area, there's a, a, set, a selection of several clubs that would operate like that. Um, for and sure, then yeah. do they do they charge more in order to fund coaches? So would they charge like the equivalent of $100 a month or $200 a month, or is that just unheard of? Yeah, some, yeah, generally those clubs that are, you know, that are investing more back into, you know, players would want to, would want to, would want to pull that in from the other side. So, yeah, I mean, $200 a month. Uh, I mean, I've, I've not seen a, a club like that, around, you know, in the UK charging those numbers. I'm not, it's not to say it doesn't exist, but certainly, you know, I would say in the region of, you know, the equivalent of, say, $80 a month is probably, you know, you'd be paying that, you know, for those kind of clubs, perhaps. And if a club gets a signing, if, a, if you go from a grassroots club to a pro club and that kid eventually goes uh, professional, do you, um, does that grassroots club get any of the, uh, what they call it, like loyalty payments or whatever they call it? Compensation. Do they get any of it? That, so that would really depend on uh, the arrangement that the grassroots club and the professional club have got. I mean, typically speaking, not as such at the, at the, with kids because kids aren't registered financially at those age, you know, those age groups. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, like, for example, when I was working in the pro youth game, there was one club that one year we took quite a few players out of the same team. Um, and obviously we've tried to then, you know, the club's done really well for the, you know, we, we obviously want, we want to promote that, want to, want to continue that relationship. So we've tried to then help that club out with funding for equipment, that kind of stuff. So that's essentially how they might have been. You could see it's being compensated. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, some, some clubs, you know, like you're saying, those clubs are taking that a little bit more seriously that, you know, realistically the professional clubs are looking at and saying, well, this club's producing more players than anybody else. Then that, that you know, it puts that club in a, in a position of a little bit more power, but they're, they're not, they're not, those players aren't contracted. So there's nothing really that club can do to stop um, those players leaving and joining the professional club. There's only so much value that could be attached to that. Okay. So we're going to wrap up the grassroots section. So if I wanted my kid to play, I want them to get everything possible in order to get to the UK, uh, say the Arsenal or whatever. They're going to probably play on two grassroots teams. So that means they're going to get at least two practices a week and two practice in two games, roughly. They're going to do that from May to September. And then they're going to, they're going to play in uh, festivals and stuff during the winter. No, it's the other way around. So play from September to May festivals during the summer. Okay. September to May. And then May, June, July, August, that time frame they're in yeah. festivals and stuff during the summer, which is actually some great weather for the UK. It's, I always say, I wish they kind of did things a little differently, like take the winter off and then yeah. come back to those three months. But I know people go on holiday and stuff. Okay. So then they do that. And then if they incline, they will get uh, supplemental training at these centers. And in addition to that, it's growing that they get private training. Now we're going to go to the academy system in a second, but what is the trend you're seeing just from uh, anecdotally on parents actually working with their kid like i'm gonna go out there <laughs> and you're gonna kick the ball 50 times against the wall every day <laughs> like what is that is that happening 
Yeah, because because in the UK, um, soccer is so popular. A lot of the parents that have got kids that are playing soccer probably play themselves, even if it was, you know, only sort of um, recreationally or, you know, like the, the senior version of grassroots soccer. But soccer is one of those games, isn't it, where a lot of people think that because I, I played at this level, that means I'm an expert. It's, it's the same game, whatever level you play at. So I, I know it. So, um, you know, and often for those parents, it's what they're passionate about as well as what their kids are passionate about. So, you know, from from a coaching perspective, and I think to when I've been coaching, there's a lot of times when um, parents will be essentially coaching their own kid. Yeah, that happens. It's massive. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's huge in the UK. Sometimes, obviously, it can be a real benefit to the kid. And I remember, you know, um being with Frank Lampard one time when he was sort of saying obviously his dad was a really good player um when he was sort of saying you know look the 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 advice that my dad gave me and how how he was with me is that the, he, he said at the time this that's the that's the main reason I've gone on to, to do what I've done in the game um yeah of course when you're looking from a coaching perspective there's other times you'd look and you'd say well I think that parent's having a detrimental effect on their kid by the way that you know what they're doing the way they're doing it so but you don't know, obviously, you know, you, you never see the other side of the coin. So you, you just, it's just guesswork. But um, yeah, there's that, that's massive in, in, in this country. Massive. Okay. So now let's go to Academy football. And we're going to wrap this up. Guys, this is an inside scoop with Neil Crawford. I am sitting down with Duncan Wheeler, the founder of Tours for You. Uh, we're going to post this in the Facebook group. We obviously post it on the podcast. You can reach out to him directly to learn more about what they do because they create bespoke tours in the uk and continental europe for players of all ages and duncan correct me if i'm wrong um and teams and even coaching tours and i'm looking forward to working with him with my boys and we're going to work out some kind of referral code or something i don't know what we're going to do so that uh, he knows anytime soccer training is sending you my way your way but i just think it's wonderful because i was just talking to a parent who was just explaining to me it's not about the soccer it's about using soccer as a way for his child to experience the world and meet other kids because if you think about it Duncan you know if you come to I'm from uh, South Carolina if you come to South Carolina and go to Myrtle Beach okay with your kids you're only going to meet your kids I mean your kids and your family it's gonna be a wonderful holiday but that's who you're gonna meet but if you came to Myrtle Beach and played in a Myrtle Beach tournament your kid is going to meet 20 other kids and you're going to get the beach and they're going to say, man, we played soccer in South Carolina. He's probably going to say they weren't any good. <laughs> but that's a second separate thing. But more importantly, he's going to have lifelong friends and lifelong memories from that experience. And you're going to get to go to the Manchester United game. You're going to get to go to the Arsenal game. So it's like it's just a great situation. So I can't go on. A lot. I can't go on enough about it. All right. So now let's go ahead and wrap this up really quickly with the Academy football. What are the pathways that you can use to get into academy football? So kids in the UK, like we mentioned obviously about the grassroots side of the game, they'll be, they'll be playing, whether it be for their school, whether it be for a grassroots club, whether it be for a private academy, a one-to-one uh, coach, uh, a session that's lower down the pyramid under that professional club's umbrella, whatever it is, they'll be playing soccer somewhere. Um, and soccer is such a small world in England that if you're playing and you're doing well you will get referred on to the next levels because people talk it's a really small world like I say Um, and those professional clubs you know when I was in that environment one of my roles at one point was a head of recruitment for the younger age groups of an academy Um, and we had you know you had ears on the ground everywhere you knew about it was your job you knew about everybody and when someone popped up that was that was that was doing really well looked like they could do really well in the future you bring them straight in. So okay, so let's so let's unpack that for a second. But before we get into the details on how it works, what are the avenues? So the first thing you can do at the lowest level, you said it's so almost like a development center. Yeah. So the clubs, the professional clubs, would have like what they call like a development center, that kind of thing, where it's a, 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 a training session that anybody can go to. You can sign your child up to it, pay and to anybody play. can go, and you pay. Yeah. Yeah. And. I'm not going to put a gun to your head, but roughly how much does that cost? I mean, that might be for, for a session a week, you might be looking at, you know, the equivalent of about $10 a week. And how do the parents interpret that? If your kid is playing in a training in a development center for Everton, how do the parents view that? 
that's that's seen those sessions are seen at you know pay to play level they're seen as just an extra session you know my kid really likes football so i want to you know they, they want to do something on a thursday evening they're not doing anything else so uh, we, we've signed you know him and, and, and it doesn't session. matter that it's arsenal's hosting it. it they don't look at it. they they understand the deal yeah no i mean i mean i think maybe some you know there's there's some maybe that see it slightly differently but in reality that's what it is so you can't get away from that yeah okay so that's the entry level if you not scout it yeah so then yeah. what's the next is scouting the next point or you go to that thing and you're really really good is there is there is there the possibility that you go to the thing where you pay but you are completely lights out and they pluck you up yeah, absolutely. That, that that happens regularly. So you go and join that, what have you, or you join join do the equivalent, and then the club would say, hey, you know, listen, we can see this. You know, you've got loads of potential as far as we're concerned. So we'll pick you straight up and and take you straight into an academy trial, or you know. Okay, so let's, not- let's 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 because of details. Academy trial. Define that. So an academy trial generally in 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 uh, in, in England, for example would be a six to eight week trial with a professional academy. So say, for example, Arsenal's academy, whoever, wherever you're, you know, wherever you're at, whatever the level you're at, um, which would mean that you train with the academy side, you play with the academy side, you do everything that the academy side does for that period of time. And during that period of time, you'll get, you know, the idea is you get regular feedback as to how you're getting on some challenges. Okay, so let's, let's pause for a second. What's the youngest you can be in, in that in an academy trial? U nine, U nine. So the way the way it works in the UK is generally clubs would have a, for example, a U seven and U eight program, which they'd call a pre academy, which is exactly that. Those players aren't registered; they're pre academy, and they do some training and some games for that club. And it's a it's a recruitment tool into the academy, obviously, which starts at U nine and then runs all the way through. But is that pre-academy the one where you pay or is that separate where you get invited? No. So that so each age group would have a pay-to-play program. Yeah. But the pre-academy and the academy system would not, you wouldn't be paying uh, generally a, a professional club to do those programs. Okay. Okay. And do those programs where you pay to play to get the extra training, do they have a cutoff point? In other words, like U15, they, they doesn't exist? No, no, generally they'd, they'd run right up, you know, sometimes to, you know, certainly U16. You, you leave secondary school in, in, in England when you're sort of essentially finished your U16 season. So that generally is the point where they cut off. But then other things kick in when you get to become a young adult. So they, they, they run from when you can start walking almost right up to when you leave, you know, when, you, when you're leaving school. Okay, okay, all right. So let me summarize this. And the reason we're going in this level of detail is because most of the content that's shared and published is from the perspective of the parent has some, or not even parent, the person listening has some understanding and yeah. we literally do not know anything. Okay, so you can go, to, you can pay, you can pay to get some additional training and that can go all the way up U15, U16. Yeah. If you do pay to get that additional training and you are completely lights out, you may be invited to a trial that can be from six to eight weeks loosely where you're training with the club, U6, U7, U8, that kind of age. Before you can get signed, they have these pre-academies where you are invited to train and they pluck kids out of that. So before we go back to the structure, how is that whole process not completely and utterly paralyzing for the player? Because I'm thinking, I'm going to try with Arsenal. This is important. I, I can't make any mistakes. How do y'all manage that? Yeah, and that, that's the role of the club is to, you know, especially when we're talking about those trial periods. So when they're training with the academy or that pre-academy system where they're really young children, but they they know they're on the pathway because the, the kids know everything, don't they? They know they're on the pathway at that age group to potentially joining the academy when it starts under nines, U9. Um, managing their expectations and their emotions is obviously is 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 the challenges of the coaches and the staff that work within those those academy environments, um, and it can be a lot. And, and often it's it's not so much managing the expectations, the emotions of the children; it's managing those of the parents because you know often they're 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 as desperate, if not sometimes more desperate, than the kid for their kid to be successful with that trial or whatever it is. 
Um, so, so let me just break this down though. Okay, hold on now. Now that I'm thinking about it, okay, good God. All right, so, but does the nine-year-old understand, do you think they just think about it, they're just playing, or do you think they understand, quote unquote, what's at stake? Oh yeah, they, they get it. I mean, my, my son's seven years old and he can, he, he knows the pyramid in this country inside out. He's training with a professional club at the minute. Um, he knows exactly what level that's at. He knows what's above him, what's beneath him. You know, they, they, they're really savvy in this country. To, they, they, they get it, you know. But, you know, the funny thing, Duncan, and we got to get back to this. If that's your worldview, it's your worldview. You don't even think anything yeah. of it. It's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I got released or I made it, right? So, in some respects, I can get it. Um, but it sounds, but see, in the, in the States, I always say this, and, and my listeners are going to challenge me this with, challenge this against me, I guess you say, uh, with what I'm about to say in the, uh, in the Facebook group. But I often say in the States, if you sign your nine-year-old up for an academy and you say your goal is not for them to go get a professional contract, sorry, if you sign your kid up for a professional club in the States, at eight, nine years old, and you say, but your goal is not for them to get a, I mean, your goal is for them to get a pro contract. I'm messing it up. Let me start over. You sign your young kid up, seven, eight years old, for a academy in the States, MLS Academy, and then you say that your goal is for them to get a pro contract. People are going to say you need your head examined. <laughs> but in the UK, if, you, if your kid gets recruited by Arsenal, <laughs> At seven or eight, nine years old, you say, yeah, but, you know, I don't really want him to get, I'm not thinking about a pro contract. People are going to think you need your head examined. So, in other words, it's it's kind of understood, and then you can chime in because you're in the UK. It's kind of understood that it's not taboo to talk about becoming a professional at these relatively young ages. Even though I'm hoping rational people are not delusional, and I know some people are, about the chances it's not unusual to hear someone 10 year old saying, yeah, my goal, my goal for being here is to get a pro contract. That's what I'm trying to do. Where in the States, it's people might say it because it sounds like that's what you should say, but culturally it's not normal for a 10 year old and family to really say and believe that my goal for being in this club is to play on the first team. What do you think? What do you? How do you? How would you respond to that? After yeah, and, yeah, that, that that's the challenge again for the for the clubs here for the staff that work for those players is, you know, because like I say even even for those kids here that are in that academy environment at ten years old, again, you know, statistically you're talking about a really small percentage of those that end up going and playing in the EPL or the EFL, um, so having those goals and dreams, a lot of those you know, kids will openly say, you know, 10 years old in that, in that environment, yeah, but I want to play on the first team here when you know, I want to play for Arsenal's first team, whatever. Um, but again, the club, you know, have got to try and manage that because, you know, one, because the, the huge dropout rate, you know, or, or failure rate, whatever you want to call it, is massive. Um, and two, relative to their age, you know, when I think back to, you know, my club experience, you'd be, you'd be encouraging those kids fundamentally at that age to enjoy the game. That's, you know, we're, we're all obviously in it for that. That's why we're doing it in the first place. And secondly, to focus on the here and now and the circuit, what can I do today that's going to make me better tomorrow rather than worrying too much about, you know, where I'm going to be in 15 plus years time is to say, you know, what do I need to do to, you know, because of that, at those age groups, you can be released, like you mentioned from those academies at the end of each season. So, the, the club might draw it back for, for those kind of kids and say, hey, look, you want to be here next year. So what, what do we need to do now to, to give yourself the best opportunity to be here next year? Don't worry too much about 15 years time. I mean, that could be an end goal. It's an end goal, for, you know, in theory for everybody in the programme. And they're all saying it. But fundamentally, want to be back next year. So what, what do we do now? Yeah, and in a perverse way, now as you mentioned it, in a perverse way, I actually prefer, in some respects, the US model. Hmm not the pay part, but the fact that it's not, it's, there are a lot of complex reasons why kids play competitive sports yeah. and their identity is not as wrapped up in trying to make the first team. And when they don't get a college scholarship or don't go professional, it's no cultural expectation that that was going to happen. 
but they got a well-rounded experience and then they got all these other opportunities. And then if they do go and play in college, they normally get some kind of education where that was a big issue in the UK. You got an 18, 19 year old, all they know is football. Um, And that was a big issue. So it's not, I'm not even saying it's right that you should be, have a singular focus at all. I'm just saying culturally, it would sound strange to a U12 player, in my opinion, in the UK that's playing for Arsenal Academy, that's not aware of first team implications. Where here, I think these kids, I don't know what is going on in their mind, but they got a lot of other stuff going on um, other than uh, soccer. So that's good. So, so now let's get into the meat and potatoes. At, at nine years old, you can be cut and released the next year? Yes, that, that, that essentially that can happen. So as soon as you become part of that pre-academy training program, you're trying to get into the academy. And if you uh, you get to the level where you get registered by the academy at U9 or any other age group thereafter, um, or so it's, it's, it's essentially U9, U10, U11, they're one-year registrations. So the club can sign you for one year. So in the end of each year, you come up for review essentially as to whether you get a registration for the next year. Um, and when you hit U12, uh, they become two-year registrations. So U12, you'd, have a, you'd essentially sign a registration for U12 and U13. Um, and at the, end of un, at the end of U13, it'd be reviewed for U14, U15, and, and so on. So they're one, one year for the first three, and then thereafter, two-year registrations. And do you, does the parent pay anything for the training? No, no. Okay, and what... Or what is the parent going to get in relation compared to what they would get? I say parent, child, in relation to what they would get in terms of training in the grassroots. Let's start with the number of days they're going to be on the pitch or number of hours per week. Yeah. So, for example, training sessions wise, you, you might expect to do between two and three training sessions a week at those younger stage groups. So U9, U10, U11. Um, and you'd have at least then one game a week, which would be against all those games then excuse me, in theory, you're against clubs at the same level. So the Arsenals would be playing Tottenham's, would be playing Man City, you know, that, that kind of level, um, or the professional clubs. Um, and uh, and then as the children get older, the number of training sessions increases um, to a point when a lot of clubs will offer what they'd call something like a day release programme, where the children would come out of their school for one day a week, or sometimes at some clubs even more than that. Um, and would come into the football club for the whole day on, say, a Wednesday and would train in the morning, do a little bit of schoolwork at the football club and then train in the afternoon. Um, so, you know, that those training sessions might add up to four or five training sessions, six training sessions a week as they get older um, with one, maybe two games during the week as well. Do any clubs outside of the day release, do they have any trainings in the mornings ever before schools? Not that I've seen. I've not seen a club do that outside of day release. No, okay. but not to say it doesn't exist, but I haven't seen it. All right. Now, guys, um, I'm going to wrap this up. And in, in, in Duncan, I'm going to get my thoughts together, listen to this podcast, and then come back and actually to do another part, too, because I got to run. I know you got to run. This is so unprofessional. But, hey, I'm a soccer dad. I actually have to take my boy somewhere. But this is such information. So I'm going to do a quick speed round. We wrap this up. And then I'm going to invite you back on probably next month just to do another part two and introduce your company and stay on fresh on people's minds. Speed round. Okay. How technical. What? How, have you seen kids in the States or only in the UK? Yeah. Yeah, I've been to the States. Yeah, yeah, I've seen kids in the States. In what context have you seen them? Uh, so I came out in a consultancy role at one point to do different sessions with people that I knew there. So really right. short term. You know, you you more qualified than me. Okay. How technical do you would you describe these eight, nine, ten year olds compared uh, to what you would see? Even if you compare to grassroots or what you saw in the States. Yeah, those are that sort of pre-academy. So we're talking the top end in, in the UK. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're technically quite proficient in, in the UK. Um, but one of the reasons for that, and it's where I think other parts of the world can maybe pick up bits from the UK in that sense, is often in the UK, those sort of top end players in terms of ability at that age group will all train and play together and they'll do it regularly. And so there's a really, it's a quick game. They've got a high challenge because they're playing against players of a similar standard 
rather than having that situation where you've got two really strong technical players playing in a team that is is not nowhere near that level. Um, and they might find it difficult to improve because they're not getting much of a challenge in their training sessions of their games. But what the UK does quite well is that it gets those players together early and they get loads of, you know, and it'd be no different to anywhere else in the world. If you had a, and each, obviously each state's different, each city's different. And the, if I compared it to, to, to areas that offer that kind of provision where we say, hey, look, from a young age, we're offering kids an appropriate challenge relative to their level of ability, then, then yeah, it, it would be similar. So as a scouting professional, when you saw kids that were really young, did you look at they're super technical or did you look at they have this athletic ability and we can get them technical, all the above? Basically, I'm asking how in the world, other than the eyeball test, well, I mean, how do you, how do you distinguish the nine-year-old that you're going to say, oh, I'm going to give him a trial? Yeah, that that's that is the massive question for for, <laughs> for the clubs in the UK. I think every club does that slightly differently. Some clubs do look at physicality elements. They'll look at where do we think this kid's going to be in years to come. Um, you know, from our perspective, we looked at things. So what what I tried to do is I, I try to break it down. I think what do I what do you know? My coaches find really difficult to coach. Well, love of the game for one. How do, how do, how do we start to coach love of the game? So we look for things like that. Which kids which kids are hanging off the coaches every word? Which kids are accepting what the coaches ask them to do and then able to pick that up, and put it into practice, and apply it really quickly? Fast learners at that at that stage. Um, which kids are well balanced, well coordinated. Now, you, you never know how kids are going to develop, really. You can have a bit of a guess, and sometimes you get proved right, sometimes you get proved wrong. So it's always it's always a gamble. It's always a, you know an educated gamble. Um, but generally, what, what we kind of tried to take was, you know, we'd look at those players that are clearly sort of gifted and talented. They're clearly the, the kids that are at the sort of top end of that environment. And then we'd look, we'd look for the sort of the, those subtle things of who loves the game, who, who's a really good learner, uh, who's got that little bit of an edge, you know, who's got something that we can't really coach, who's got that little bit of aggression, that little bit of fire, that you know, those kind of things um, that, 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 stand, that stand players out from the rest. Yeah, so it's funny you say that. And I'll use my two sons, and my son is going to hear this. He, he'll know who I'm talking about. So there's two little fellows on his team that I kind of put in that carrot, carrot – uh, um, I put in that category our head and shoulders above the other kids, mm -hmm. but their head and shoulders above the other kids for two different reasons. And as, as a matter of fact, they train in a playing uh, train in a training pool that's three years older than them. Now, my mm -hmm. older one is head and shoulders above because of a lot of stuff. Well, men mentally, he was very precocious, so he was very locked in and he does a lot of stuff at home and he loves the game because he's born in England, but he is very, uh, he practices a lot. So he's really, really technical. And then he has another little friend and my son's going to hear this, who is just a ball of energy, loves the game. They playing Fortnite, all, not Fortnite, um, FIFA against each other all the time, up and down the pitch, crazy work rate. And I'm always joking with my friend, man, if I could just work with him, because he is technical, but if I could work with him, whew, the sky's the limit. I always tease his dad, like, let me adopt him for uh, six years and I'll give him back to you. <laughs> and so I'm saying all that to say I couldn't possibly be a scout. I would probably have to take both of them, just see where my chips land, landed. Yeah. But I could see where one of them, you say, man, he's technical, but his dad is working with him. One is he's not as technical, but he has all those other intangibles that you would look for. And oh, by the way, now they're only 11. So it's kind of even embarrassing to talk about kids because they do uh, at that age because they develop so differently. All right. So that's been helpful. So now let's end with this. Two more questions and we're going to wrapping it up. The next question is how long is that academy season compared to the grassroots season? Exactly the same. So it follows exactly the same kind of model. Um, they kept it, you know, they, we're talking about obviously tours at the start of the show and, and you know, they, they, they might do more of that. So during the season or at the end of the season, they might jump on tours and go off to different parts of Europe, different parts of the world at the bigger clubs. But the actual season is, is exactly the same. So, but from your, if you had to explain to someone who was looking on the outside, are you saying the official season is seven months? And I mean, sorry, the official season is nine months? And then they yeah. have three months off. Is that fair? Yeah, 
That's basically and what are they yeah. doing in I, those I, three months? So if take the, the professional clubs, you know, the academy system, so they, so the schools start back in September in the UK, start, school starts in September each, each school year, as does the, the soccer season. So they start in September with their organised games programme and that would run through until end of April, beginning of May generally. And then often the professional clubs would give their players a period of time off. Maybe, you know, from my experience, we used to do kind of, six weeks up to six weeks of nothing where they'd go and we'd encourage them to go and do everything other than 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 soccer man see their friends swimming all the rest of it and then they'd come back in for a pre-season program so kind of beginning in the middle of july or whatever it works out as they'd come back in and they'd do what would essentially be say another six weeks of um you know less organized games more festival stuff you know different types of training sessions all that kind of stuff um to to build them back up again to go again in september to run all the way through to a new season so yeah they is they, they of that three months they might typically have half of it off and then half of it back in for a pre-season okay i'm trying to do the math i'm horrible so they're going to be on the pitch every bit of 10 months then yeah generally yeah they would and then because you're going to have breaks during the season too <laughs> but every bit of 10 yeah. months they're going to be on the pitch and then that time that they are, and I, for the folks not list, looking at the video, I'm using my air quotes, for that time they're off. Are they really off? In other words, if you know that <laughs> I'm on a two-year contract and I'm not, and, it's, it is a, um, and I'm the third guy on the death chart, am I taking that, those six weeks off or am I training? Yeah, I think with the with the kids, a lot of it will come down to their parents, obviously, you know, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, from my experience, a lot of them probably didn't take, you know, it's been, I'm talking in a professional club environment, a lot of them probably didn't go and, you know, sit at home and watch movies and go out with their friends and eat popcorn. They, a lot of them probably went and did other things that were soccer related and, and you know, tried to use the opportunity to get, to get better. Okay, so now let's wrap this up. Early sports specialization, a buzzword. I have my views on it. I'm going to do a podcast on it because I think the term is a, is a lightning rod that needs to be unpacked a little bit. But I always ask guests this. You have a seven-year-old you mentioned. What other sports are they playing? If not, no judgment. I'm just trying to see what are you seeing out there? And then I want to define what playing other sports is or, or unpack that once you tell me sort of what's going on so those kids that are playing let's start with the academy they play at academy what other sports are they playing in general from your experience yeah so i mean typically you know from my perspective i would say unfortunately a lot of them don't do many other sports what academies i think in in the uk have begun to do quite well is incorporate some other sports into their programs. They might get a martial arts instructor in, they do these you know, martial arts sessions every so often, or flip it and do, you know, what we'd call American football or, you know, whatever it is, you know, diff different types of sports, gymnastics, I don't know, whatever. Um, but from my experience, the children that were in those professional clubs environment, there was a really poor rate, ratio of kids that went and did other sports perhaps largely because they're coming in several times a week and the parents want some time for themselves or for their other siblings, whatever. I don't know. They've all got different reasons for it. Um, or the kids just didn't want it. I don't know, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Grassroots. Same question. Yeah, probably more so in grassroots because some of the, some of those kids, especially those kids that are training just the once a week. Um, often, you know, when I look at those kids that even that, you know, my son's friends, some of those then doing one or two other hobbies during the week as well. Um, and are far less specialized than the kids that are in the professional environment. But do the kids in the professional environment play the equivalent of record, what we would call recreational basketball? So they play for their local park and rec, eight week season, the equivalent of grassroots, but for basketball, they, do they do that? Not really, not really, not those professional clubs, no. And then what about PE? Yeah, so the the, the PE would, would uh, would take place in school. So they, they'd yeah. all be doing PE in school. Yeah, they'd get provision in school for that, um, but not and, outside of school so much. And I've heard a lot of talk about trying to do a holistic curriculum within the football context, the multi-sport curriculum, which I think is where yeah. you have to go because the world has just changed. And I actually think yeah. clubs have a unique opportunity to do that. So like that six weeks you were saying they're off, that's a unique opportunity to 
uh, you know, have an intramural basketball team or have an intramural flag football yeah. or have intramural um, uh, field days. I wish more clubs did that, but the clubs are exhausted too. And I mean, I used to work in education. <laughs> you go and tell the coach, okay, that six weeks is you have the detox. I want you to do this. It's like, really? Come on, man. So it's hard. It's not as easy as I'm trying to make it sound, but I do think clubs are going to have to say we are where we are, right? Parents are going to do what we, parents are seeing this stuff. It's not practical to ask them to go try to get their kid into rugby if we're asking for four or five days at a time. So we need to do our own little festivals um, within the club environment. Guys, Neil Crawford with the Inside Scoop, also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. I encourage you to check out www.anytime-soccer.com. Join the mailing list and get your seven free ball mastery videos. Take the challenge. In addition to that, it's free to join the app. You get access to all thousand videos so you can see how, how it works. I really encourage you to check it out. That's anytime-soccer.com. I've been sitting down with Duncan Wheeler, who is the founder of Tour uh, Tours for You and also has an distinguished history in academy football in the UK. Duncan, I'm putting your show notes here. Um, we're going to do something where folks can reach out to you directly, name drop me, and we'll figure that stuff out later. But I really want more of our parents to expand their child's horizon through soccer. And I might have to organize, I might organize an anytime soccer training trip because, you know, I, my boys are born in London. So I got friends over there and we go all the time. So I may, as a matter of fact, it's funny I say that my one of my good friends was just talking to me about organizing a trip somewhere via and have our kids play soccer together. So I might be one of your first uh, U.S. Uh, ambassadors. You never know. All right, guys, this has been Neil Crawford, Inside Scoop. Duncan, thank you. Uh, anything else you got? No, Neil, appreciate it. It's been great fun. And you know, like I say, we, you know, we, uh, it's been great fun working with you and doing this and, um, you know, all that information is available at, at tourview.co.uk. Um, you know, it's, uh, and especially people that come, come to us via this, if they quote you, you know, quote AST or quote this show, you know, it's, uh, we could definitely put something together with That's what I say. And, I always yeah. tell people I'm not there yet on the Apple rankings and all that. I'm not there on any referral. It just feels good if somebody hears it and says, yeah, I heard you from Neil. I just, that just makes me feel good. So anyways, yeah. we'll see how it goes. All right, guys, let's get better together.